Good morning, everybody. Good year. Shana Tova. Always a privilege to learn Dafyomi on the anniversary of the initiation of Dafyomi. This is the 100th or 101st year, right? Since the Ger Rebbe started Brachos Daf Beis on Rosh Hashanah. And we are going to be learning Daf Peib Dalit today. Bezat Hashem in Maseches Ksubas. Let's start Pei Gimel Amad Beis. Six lines up. Rabbi Shem ben Gamliel Omer from the bottom of Pei Gimel Amad Beis. What happened? Rabbi Shem ben Gamliel Omer what? Our Mishnah said... We began yesterday, on, Sha, on uh, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the ninth chapter of Masechus Ksubis. In the ninth chapter, it talks about a husband who, for whatever reason, let's say he marries a wealthy woman, and he wants to show that he's marrying her for love, Andrew. He's not marrying her for her money, and therefore he swears off, Can he swear off? Very interesting discussion. Can a, can a husband, um, even though Chazal gave him the opportunity Right to get certain schuyos in the nichsei malug of of his uh, wife, his kala. The schuyos being he can use he can um, use the peros of the nichsei malug. He can uh, block the sale of nichsei malug, and he can be yoresh the nichsei malug. Once she passes away, can he in fact reject all of those schuyos? That was the topic yesterday in the first. Blot the first uh, uh, right the first page of chapter nine. Now, at the end of that Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said, "Imesa Yerashena," right that there is never a case where if his wife dies, the husband can actually swear off inheriting her. Why? Because Rabbi Shimon Gamliel holds that this inheritance that a wife's goes to the husband is actually something that's mentioned in the Torah. This was brought up in Babasra Daf, Kufir Aleph, Amad Beis, where it brings the Pasuk, right, um, from Sefer, Bamidbar, where it says, Unsatem es nachlasoli yarish That the husband is Yarish, the wife, okay? It is a machlokas whether this is Minah Torah. But assuming it's Minah Torah, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel in our Mishnah stated, it is a classic case of Masne Alma Shekosav Torah that you cannot say, and you might recall this, right? Because we had this discussion with regards to She'er Kusus What if a man wants to uh, be Makadish a woman and he says, Harayas Makadish Almanas that I not I don't owe you she'er ksus ve'ona. So there's an interesting machlokas in this regard. She'er ksus ve'ona are obligations midoraisa, so you can't do that, right? However, there and we know that there's a concept of masna mashakosu b'torah that when a person makes a stipulation, and that stipulation is totally against the Torah. Hares mekudeshes li almanas that we get to eat chametz on Pesach. That would never work. Right? You're not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach. It's as if you said nothing. That tznai is considered canceled entirely. Nobody's going to listen to that. And you just move on as if he didn't say anything, right? So that is how it typically works when you're masna mashakot of Torah. The kol masna mashakot of Torah, tznao batel. The tznai, the condition is not going to be enforced at all. What happens with she'er ksus ve'ona, however, the ona is the oraisa, and it's not monetary. But the air, the she'er and the ksus, that's where it becomes interesting. The she'er and the ksus are monetary things. With monetary things, Barry, 
So, for example, inheritance or this obligation of sharing ksus, that is something that even though the Torah, or let's say Pish 9 for Bechor, the Torah gives a prescription of the transfer of the money, of how that's supposed to work. However, that can be what the two parties involved can always restructure it if they decide otherwise. That is actually a machlokis. Whether it's nigh, uh, a person who makes it nigh, a mashakos of Torah, when it comes to financial arrangements, whether that t'nai is bottled, because after all, let's say a person is Mekadish and Isha, Amenas, that I don't have to support you. Well, he has to give her share ksus ona. So ona, put it aside, but share and ksus, maybe share and ksus, the woman is very independently wealthy, and she doesn't need his share and ksus. And she loves him, Barry, and she wants to get married. Can she agree with regards to that financial arrangement? It is true that the Torah prescribed that that the husband has to support her. But in the case where she doesn't need support and she loves the guy, is she allowed, right, to say that I forgive that, I forgive that obligation because after all, it's just money. This isn't like chametz on Pesach. It's not an iser veheter. So if it's just money, it really should be determined, even though the Torah gives a prescription that all things being equal, right, the Torah is going to say you have to support her and all things being equal, right, you have to give pishnaim. But maybe Bukhar wants to forgive his Pishnai. Maybe Akala wants to forgive, right, the obligations. And if they do so, is it not within their rights to do so, to be Mokhalit? So that is a Machlokas in itself. So that's where we pick up, where Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said that if, that this inheritance, right, should be a Masla Mashakot of the Torah, because Min HaTorah, the husband is supposed to inherit the wife, and therefore he cannot make such a stipulation. And if he makes that stipulation, that's a tznai, that is batal. To which, Amar Rav, says the Gemara, now we finally, starting over here, on the fifth line up from the uh, bottom, Rav said, that in fact it's true, that halacha is like Rav Gamliel, that if he, right, that if he makes such a stipulation, that the tznai is batal, however, okay, but not because of the reason of Rav Gamliel. So Rav made an, a, sort of like a, Statement that was ambiguous, right? It was shrouded uh, in mystery. We don't know exactly what he meant. What do you mean they said, Allah Chazak of Shem Gamliel, but not for the reason of Shem Gamliel? So that Gemara is going to give no less than four possibilities as to what Rav might have meant about the statement of Rabbi Shem Gamliel. So, says the Gemara, What does he mean by that? What does Rav mean? So, Ilema. Right, we say, what's the halach of Rav Shimon Gamliel? That if he, he says, if she dies, right, I, he, he, and he makes, right, the stipulation, right, he inherits her, despite the tenai. That's the halacha, right? He says that if he makes a tenai, that he's not going to inherit her, and then she dies, he inherits her honey. Anyway, that's the halacha. Okay, so that Rav would agree with. V'lav mitamei. What does he mean, v'lav mitamei? Well, maybe like this. Maybe the ilor of Shimon Gamliel suffer masla mashakos b'tara to know bottle. It could be that Shimon Gamliel holds that that if a person is masne mashakos b'tara to know bottle, as he does, because that's what he says in the Mishnah, and v'rav suffer to know kain. Maybe that's what Rav means. In other words, it could be that Rav. 
agrees with the Shimon Gamliel that the the Baal, despite his Tanai, is to in other words, despite his stipulation that he doesn't want to be Yorish's wife, he's still going to be Yorish's wife. However, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel holds that the Tanai is Batel because it's Masnael Mashakaz Batara. And maybe Rav holds that the Tanai typically would be Kayim, even when he's Masnael Mashakaz Batara, because it's in a financial context, right? The Kesavar Yerushas Habal, they're However, the reason why Rav holds that the Baal is Yerush's wife anyway is because the Baal being Yerush's wife is in fact not a De'oraisa, rather it's a De'orabanan. And the reason why the Baal is Yerush or anyway is Dafka because it's De'orabanan. In other words, ironically, Rav would say that the Tznaya Mashakat Torah in fact would be Batel because it is in fact in a matter of financial things. However, in this particular case, he says that the Tznai is in fact Batel because it's a Darabonon, and ironically because it's Darabonon, Chazal wanted to strengthen, right, their Takana Darabonon, that the Baal has to be Yorish's wife, and therefore, it is in that case that the Tznai would be Batel because Chazal wanted to be, um, to, to strengthen it. If this analysis was the case, so then it would stand to reason that Rav does in fact hold like Rav Shimon Gamliel, that the Tznai, that, that the Tznai is Batel, and therefore the Baal has to be Yerush's wife, and yet he's holding for a different reason, because he holds that the inheritance of a wife is a Darabonon. All of that would make sense, because then it would make sense why Rav says it, the Lachas of Rav Shimon Gamliel, but not for the very same reason as Rav Shimon ben Gamliel. And this last Rashi and Pei Gimel and Beis explains this idea of the Tznai being Kayim in the context of the financial derisas. Okay, that's what that last Rashi and Gimel Abbas explains as we've discussed. But as we arrive at Pedalin Amadalif, the Gemara blows up that for, first suggestion and says, Is it really true that, that Rav's going to say, holds that when it comes to monetary matters, that you can make a Tanai, a Mashakas of and it would still be Kayan? Uh, it doesn't seem we have a source that would suggest otherwise. Right? So that analysis would work, Barry, but it happens to be not what Rav holds. He doesn't hold that Masna Mashakas of Torah in financial things that now is, is Kayim. Because after all, the Ha'itmar we have in a different case, Right? When I sell you something, Barry, I'm not allowed to rip you off. It's called Ona. I can't charge you more than the sixth. So what do I say? What if I say, you know what? I'm going to make a sale with you on condition that you are you forgive my ripping you off. In ca- I mean, I'm, in the case that I am ripping you off, right? I overcharge you by like three thousand percent, and I say I'll make the sale almanas that that we don't have any right claim of of a rip off against me. So Rav Amar Yeshlo Alavana, Shmuel Amar Ainlo Alavana. So Rav says there that you still are going to be, I still, in that case, will still be liable for ripping you off for the Isser of Ana. Well, and even, and Shmuel says that I'm not going to be chayv, but be that as it may, we see that Rav holds that because the Ona is something that's written in the Torah, I do not have the right to make a stipulation to cancel that Isser Minat Torah. It is, in fact, 
another example of Masna Masha Kotabator, Tznai Batal. My Tznai is Batal, I still have to be Chayev for this Isra of Anah for ripping Barry off. So if that's the case, so then we see that Rav in fact holds that it should be the same thing with the Yerusha. That when it comes to the Raisa, even by their abundance, Tznai is Batal, and therefore our beautiful analysis. The first suggestion as to why Rav would hold like Shmuel, but for a different reason, doesn't work because Rav, in fact, holds of the same reasoning as Rav Shimon and Gamliel. Right? So then the Gemara is going to give suggestion number two. Ella says the Gemara, and again, all of these suggestions is how Rav holds the halacha like Rav Shimon and Gamliel, but for a different reason. So reason number two. Halacha Rav Shimon Gamliel. The Amar Hamasla Batal. Okay. So now we're going to concede that Rav agrees that Masa Masha Kasabatara, even when financial things it's not bottle. Belav me tame. So then what does he mean when he says that the luck is like him, but not for his own reasons? The Ilubar Bin Shimon Gamliel Savar Mesa Yirashana, Rav Savar Mesa Lo Yirashana. Maybe Rav holds that there is a that that Lahalacha, even though Rabbi Shimon Gamliel holds that the Baal, once the Tanai is bottle, is Yorisher, Rav perhaps holds that the Halacha is that that the husband is allowed to stipulate, right, that he does not want to inherit her. Very great. That, that, that would mean, wait, but then the Gemara says, that doesn't work at all. That's the exact opposite of what we said. What are you saying? Saying that the Rav holds, this is like a straw man argument. This is just one of the possibilities. Saying that Rav holds that the husband can't be Yerush's wife, well, if Rav holds that, then that means that the exact opposite of what Rav's statement was. Rav's statement was that he holds the halacha like of Shimon Gamliel, but not for the same reason. But now you've just suggested a possibility that he holds of the same reason of Shimon Gamliel, but not the halacha of Shimon Gamliel. That's the opposite of what Rav stated. Rav stated that he does hold like the halacha of Shimon Gamliel, and, and, but not for the same reason of Shimon Gamliel. So this suggestion number two is the worst suggestion. Because suggestion number two means that he agrees with Shimon Gamliel in principle that, right, a but he happens to disagree with the halacha here because he holds that the Rabbanon made a special stipulation that the Baal can, in fact, be Yerusher. Well, that's the opposite of the halacha of Shimon Gamliel, but, it, but the same consistent with the svar of Shimon Gamliel. So it's the opposite of what Rav stated, because Rav stated that the halacha is going to be the same and the svar is going to be different. And here, the lacha is different and the svar is the same. So suggestion number two is so far the worst suggestion yet. We don't but take that suggestion. So now let's do suggestion number three. Okay, so let's go back to, to saying that the lacha is kerv gamliel because in fact he says that he cannot, right, swear off the inheritance of his wife because that's midah raisa. And what Rav means when he says that the Allah is Rav Shimon Gamliel, but not for the same reason, the Ilu Rav Shimon Gamliel suffered the Raisa to know a bottle, ha bidurabonant no kayan. Because whereas Rav Shimon Gamliel would say, a bidurabonant the Tanai is bottle, here perhaps Rav holds that fundamentally, when it comes to bidurabonants, the Tanai. That, that, that Reb Shimon Gamliel holds, rather, that fundamentally, maybe if it were a Darabonon, right, the Tznai should be Kayim. What does Rashi say? Right, there is a stipulation, 
one of the stipulations that we said, one of the three rights that are mentioned in the Mishnah that the husband has in his wife's nechse malug is that in fact he can eat the peris. So let's say he made it nigh on this. Shelo yechal peris. So there, maybe Roshim Gamliel would hold that the tenai there, it would be kayim. That if he made it tenai on that, it would be kayim. Ve'rav savar afilu b'derabonon tenai obatol. Maybe you could say that Rav doesn't hold like Roshim Gamliel when it comes to the peros, when it comes to the derabonons. That in the doraisas, they're in lockstep, right? Both Roshim Gamliel and Rav would say that when it comes to the Daraisa of being Yosher, that, in fact, he can't, that Tanai would be Batel. And the only addition that Rav has is that he would extend it even to Darabonans, that even to the Peros, which is a, a stipulation of Darabonan, even there Rav would, would say that the Tanai is Batel. Says the Gemara, wait a minute. So, hi, but Ketame Uchehilchasehu, the Rav Mosifu. Well, if what you're saying is that Rav totally agrees with Shem Gamliel, and the only case where he disagrees is in the Durabanan of Peros, so then what does Rav mean when he says that I agree with Shem Gamliel in terms of the halacha, but I disagree with his reasoning? In this case, he agrees with us when it comes to the Duraisa of being Yorish the wife, he agrees with his halacha, and he agrees with his reasoning. So that can't be what Rav meant. Just because he happens to also Hold that the Tanai is Batal and Darbanan, that's what it means. It says Rav Mosifu. That's just an addition. That's just, that he, means that he takes this whole idea of Rav Shimon Gamliel, Master Masha Kasubitara, Tanai Batal, and extends it also to Darabonans. I should really drink before. Yeah, uh, right. We have, uh, 13 minutes to drink here. Now, I just sucked this down, chugged it. It's from Mountaintop. Tzvi uh, Holland said that the banana daiquiris there were uh, kosher. And so a certain member of my family, not me, sucked down two of these, like in two seconds. So she sucked it down faster than I did, but okay, we're done with the water. Today it's Tzom Gedalia. Mozi Tzom Gedalia is our 30th anniversary, Barry. Not me and you, me and Natara. So anyways, that's a story in itself. So thank you, Andrew, for the reminder. Okay, so now, So if you're going to say that the Tznai is Batel, uh, right, according, so that would mean that all we're saying is, again, Rav said that he agrees with Allah, but he disagrees with the mechanism, right, the, the Svara. Well, here he agrees with Allah and the Svara. So that third suggestion does not work. When it says Rav Mosef, who he means that he extends that svar even to the halacha midarabanan. So even though in that regard he disagrees with Shimon Gamliel, with regards to the case of the Yerusha, he does agree, he does agree, and that's the case he was talking about. So it can't be suggestion number three. So Barry, we're going to put you out of your misery. Suggestion number four is the one we're going to go with. You ready? Ella, the halacha is like this: halacha kirsh Shimon Gamliel to Amar Imesa Yerushana. But he does agree, of course. Like with Rosh Hashem that if a husband stipulates that he cannot be Yerusha's wife, that stipulation is tossed, and we say that he is Yerusha's wife. But it's not for the reason of Rosh Hashem for the following reason. The Ilu Rosh Hashem Gamliel suffer Yerusha's abalda raisa. Rosh Gamliel says that a husband being Yerush, his wife, is a deoraisa. And in fact, anybody who makes a stipulation connected the even a Torah stipulated um, financial matter 
that Tanai is considered nonsensical and we disregard it, the Rav Savar Yerusha Sabal Derabonon. But Rav holds that the Yerusha Sabal is in fact the Derabonon. And even though I quoted you a, right, a Pasuk, that's quoted in the Gemara and Baba Basra, Kufyud Aleph, Ambez, that is a controversial issue in itself. It's a machlokas whether that Pasuk uh, definitively claims that the Yerusha of the Baal of his wife is a Doraisa. And it's on that point that Rav, in fact, disagrees. He holds that the Yerusha ha Baal is Derabonon. However, However, the Chachamim were buttressing their opinion, and therefore they treated that as a Doraisa in the sense that if a person made a Tanai, despite the fact that the Yerusha Sabal, as we call it, right, the husband inheriting his wife after she passes away, despite the fact that that's a Darabonon, we treat it like a Daraisa in the sense that you cannot, uh, that you cannot make a Tanai, a stipulation against that halacha, and you are forced, so to speak, to inherit your, one's, one is forced to inherit their wife. And therefore, if you say that, so that means that Rav holds that the same halacha as Roshim Gamliel, in fact, that the Baal has to be Arish's wife, and if he makes a stipulation against it, that's not his battles, because it's some lead. However, it's for a different reason, because Roshim and Gamliel holds it, it's because it's Daraisa, and Rav holds because it's because it's Darabanan. And that's what Rav meant when he says that I agree with the halacha at the end of the day, but I agree with it because of a different reason, a different mechanism. Perfect. However, it would only be perfect if Rav, in fact, held that Yerusha Sabal is Darabanan, to which the Gemara asks, Rav Sava Yerusha Sabal Darabanan? We have a Mishnah in Bechoros, of course, Bechoros Taf Nun where it says, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka Omer, Hayorosh is Ishto Yachzil of Mishpacha. A person who is Yorosh's wife, he has to return what? The, whatever he was Yorosh, the property, to the Bnei Mishpacha, to the members of the family, when? At Yovel. Okay. Yovel, anything. Uh, all, all the lands in Eretz that were sold or gifted have to revert back to the ant, to the owners, the original owners. Okay, that means that he has to, it sounds like at this point we say that he has to sell it back to the original B'nai Mishpacha at a discount. And there in Vacharis we asked about that, what does Rabbi Yochanan Broka hold? Why does he say that you sell it back at a discount? That seems to make no sense because if in fact the Baal inherited this land, so am I Yachzer. If he really inherited it, it's his, Andrew. He's like considered the ancestral owner of it, right? In other words, if it was sold or given as a gift, so then that's what you have to return. But inheritance, you don't have to return. So if he actually inherited her, why does he have to return it? The either a banan, and if you hold that the husband inheriting this wife's stuff is not Daraisa, but it's a Darabaran, so dumb in my avidatu. So then why is he actually getting paid at all? Right, after all, me Daraisa, he has no right to this property. Right, so he's getting it like as a gift. He has to just give it back to them. He shouldn't get paid for that. So And so in sorting out that Right, that halacha of Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka, right, in, Bechor, in Bechoros, right, Rav explained that no, Yerusha Sabal is the Oraisa, the husband inheriting his wife is the Oraisa, 
And the case in Becharos that case was among the things that he inherited was the her ancestral graveyard and Mishum and the reason why so even though it's the Orisa and it's owned to and it's and it's in fact he doesn't have to return it the reason why he's returning it is because one of the things that he inherited was this ancestral burial plot and it would be ridiculous because of the Pagam Mishpacha for the whole family's right plot to all of a sudden be shifted to some other family and so Chazal said you know what that that's not cool Give it back to them and you'll get compensated for it. But that at least, the ancestral uh, plot is something that should stay in the family even though technically the Baal was Yorishit. Okay. So uh, that's why. The Chazal, because of this concern for the family ancestral plot, staying within the family, said, okay, even though it's true that the Baal inherited Midor Raisa, you should return it and be compensated for it. So then why are you getting it at a discount? Because the Mekever Ishtu, when it says you're getting it at a discount, it's referring to the fact that he's still, he's gonna not have to, because he has to bury his wife, he can't, he can't demand reimbursement for that grave. In other words, he's going to return the ancestral plot, right, even though he's entitled to it, and he's gonna be reimbursed for it, but the part that he's not gonna be reimbursed for is gonna be the part where he does have to actually pay for his wife's burial. So that's the discount that it's referring to. It's saying that for the wife's burial part, remember, uh, his wife passed away. So when his wife passed away, he has to have paid for her burial. That's one of his responsibilities as her husband. Okay. So then, right, and, and how do we know that? Kedetanya, Rav based his whole shita on a brisa. Because the brisa says, HaMocher Kivro V'derech Kivro, right, when a person sells his burial plot, or the path is buried plot, Mamadu Mokom Hespedo, on the site there becomes, right, the site that's designated for either the Ma'amad or for his Hespeid, right? That's designated, what's the, the Ma'amad? The Ma'amad was a procedure when they used to halt on the way to the grave and they used to have, uh, please sit, please stand. It, the standing and the sitting, as we described in Megillah, Daf, Chav was part of the uh, procedure, and we have, right, remnants of that in our minhagim and the levayas, um, in the levayas that we do today. Be that as it may, that site, right, he had sold those areas, either the areas where he's supposed to do the hespade, or his burial plot, or the way, or the, the, right, the way to it, and now he sold it, so what are you going to do when he passes away? So the members of the family can come after he dies, and still they bury him there with, what do you mean, Balkarcho? The guy's already dead. No, whoever bought this plot, right? In other words, if you buy someone's burial plot as part of their family, right? A guy is, let's say, down on his luck, right? He's on skid row. God forbid, you know, uh, the worst case scenario. A guy is some sort of like drug addict and he ends up selling his burial plot that he, that he inherited. He sells it for more drug money and then he overdoses. Some crazy case that you can imagine happens, right? And so now we bury him in his burial plot anyway. Ah, he sold it for kilos, uh, Barry. Uh, no, we still bury him anyway. And then Mishum Pekamishpacha, because he has to stay. Just because he sold it doesn't mean we do it. Now we're, gonna, we're going to reimburse the seller, right? We're going to reimburse the purchaser of this burial plot. We're going to give him back his money. But we're going to take back the burial plot. This was the Brysa. Be that as it may, what did Rav say 
along the way. That, that he holds that Yerushas Abal is Daraisa. That's how we got here. Because the only case that made sense was our fourth suggestion. That Rav holds like a Shimon Gamliel that Yerushas Abal, that, that the husband cannot make a stipulation. And what does Rav mean when he say, I hold like him that the husband's stipulation is dismissed, but I hold for a different reason. So we said it's because of Shimon Gamliel holds that the Yerushas Abal is Daraisa, and Rav holds that the Yerushas Abal is Darabanan, but still you can't make a stipulation. Ah, but now in Bechorus we have a proof that Rav agrees with the Shimon Gamliel that, and with the Yochanan ben Broka, the Yerusha Sabal is de Oraisa. So it seems like he agrees both with the Halacha and with the reasoning of Shimon Gamliel. So how are we going to get out of that to preserve our fourth shot, which was the only one that worked? Says the Gemara, Rav, Tamei Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka, Kamar. Yeah, Rav was, was just explaining what Shitas Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka was in Bechorus. But Rav himself didn't hold that. In other words, Rav holds that Yerusha Sabal is Darabonon. And our fourth pshat it stands. That's still a great pshat, Andrew. It's just that Rav was explaining in Bechorus of Yochanan Broka, and therefore it's not a contradiction within Rav. It's just one version is Rav explaining himself. That's by us, when he's explaining that he does not really fundamentally agree with Rav Shemim Gamliel that Yerusha Sabal is Daraisa. He holds it to Darabonon even though at the end of the day, the halacha is going to be the same. Whereas in Bechorus, he's explaining, Rav Yochanan and Brokashita, that Yerusha Sabal is Deoraisa. Very good. So now we're on to the Mishnah on Peidalet. I'm going to office follow. It says in the Mishnah, Misha Meisvinyech, Isho, Valcho, Vyorshin. And now the fast of Tzom Gedali begins at the obnoxious time at 5.47 a.m. A person dies, leaves a wife, creditor, heirs, Everybody is making claims in his estate, right? Right. Everybody's getting together and it's contentious, Andrew. They all want the, whatever money he left over. And, and on top of that, he had, he had a collateral with one guy. He had a loan in possession of another guy. And so now everybody has to sort out, right? The lawyers and the rabbis are here. Everybody has to sort out who's going to get this money, okay? Now, mind you, this is metaltalin are usually not seized from heirs. But we'll see what the case is. Rabbi Tarfan Omer, That, who, how are you going to prioritize who gets what? Again, you have, you have your Yorshim. You have your creditors, right? Your Balchov. You have your wife that has to be Yorshu. You have all these people. So who are you going to take the Pikadon the and Milva from? And, and then who are you going to pay off first? The wife? The creditor? The Yorshim? Okay. So, Rabbi Tarfan says, you give to the weakest amongst them. As we're going to see, that's not going to be the Yorshim necessarily. And, it's, and Rashi explains it because Rabbi Tarfan holds that the Yorshim didn't claim it. As Rashi is going to say what the Gemara is going to explain. We'll see. Whereas Rabbi Kiva argues with Rabbi Tarfan. And we're going to see that's an interesting machlokas because there is a machlokas whether Rabbi Kiva is Rabbi Tarfan's Talmud or Rabbi, Tarf, Rabbi Tarfan's contemporary. It's kind of like a Talmud Chaver. Rabbi Kiva disagrees. He says, Omer ain't merachmin bedin. He says, what do you mean? Isnu l'kosha shabam sounds like you're giving it to the most pathetic one. But what is this, like a tzedakah organization? We're talking about halacha here. The question is, there should be a halacha as to who gets it first. Ela inasnu yorshim. You have to give it to the, to the yorshim. Shekul and shrich, and what's Rabbi Kiva's rationale? Shekul and shrichim shruah, ve'ina yorshim shrichim shruah. Rabbi Kiva takes the following idea, that any time you have a Balchov, right, or even a wife that has to, right, actually get money, 
from the Baal, when she does so, she has to make a Shavua first that, to say that she didn't collect it yet. Well, that's only true of a wife being Yosher husband or a creditor being Yosher, Balchov. But heirs don't have to. Yoshim don't have to make such, um, such a Shavua. And that, Rabbi Kiva takes as a sign that they get precedence, right? So Rabbi Kiva thinks that halacha implies that they would take precedence and therefore he holds that it's not the koshel shabahem, which is a reference to the Balchov and the, or the wife, but rather it's a reference to the Yoshim, they get it first. That's case number one. Case number two in the Mishnah is similar. It's heniach peros plushim in akarka. Let's say when the person who passed away, passed away, he had a whole bunch of produce later laying around that was actually very ba- valuable. We're going to see it's going to matter where it's laying around, right? But says the Mishnah, kol hakodem behen zacha behen, right? It's first come, first serve. Rashi says, kod mi yoshin zachu, vein wotzi mi yodam, dimtalti yasmi lo mishtabli v'alchov, v'luksuba. That kol hakodem behen zacha is usually, it would mean that the yoshim, if they get it, nobody could take it from them. And so they get it. However, there could be some leftovers. Zachta isha yoser miksuvasa. But let's say the wife got there first. And she got to all that stuff, very valuable. If she gained more than her ksuba, right? She's only allowed to collect what she's allowed to collect. She doesn't take everything. If she gained more than what her ksuba value would be, or vachov yosachov, certainly if somebody, he owed somebody $100,000, but there's $200,000 worth of produce, he doesn't just take the whole $200,000 worth of produce. He just takes back whatever was owed. And vehamosar, right? The surplus of that. So then you have the same achokas rebi kiva. And Rabbi Tarfon, where Rabbi Tarfon, I mean, it's not so the You give it to the weakest amongst them, which the Gemara will discuss, either the Balchov or the Isha. And Rabbi Kiva, and Merachli Medin, this is not a stock organization, we're not gonna, we have to have a Lacha here, and the Lacha is, it goes to the Yorshim, and his, and his Raya is, Ela Yisnu I Nasan wrote Yorshim, and the Raya is, Shakulam Srikhan Shrua, Vena Yorshim Srikhan Shrua, as it was in the first case, that since the Yorshim don't have to swear, that is an implication that they would get it first. So the Gemara asks, Lamali Lemisna Milva, Lamali Lemisni Pikadon. First, the Gemara asks, in that first case, why did we say both cases of a, right, of a loan and a collateral? Is there something different in those halachas when that money is in either by collateral or a loan. So the command says, yeah, Tzricha. Titan Milva, if you only learn in the case of a loan, we'd say, right? There you'd say, why, why do the Yorshim not receive it? Because a loan is given to the borrower to be spent, and therefore it's as if it's not there. You're gonna, you have a very, very lambda Shirashi here. That, that basically, it's something that's, that you don't see. And it is for that reason that there, Rabbi Tarfon would say that, that the Yorshim can't receive it. But maybe because something that's extant that you could see, as Rashi explains, right? The whole, the anything that's extant, it's as if the Yorshim actually got it, right? So if that's the case, so by Pikadon, it makes more sense that Rabbi, that Rabbi Akiva's shita makes more sense, so to speak, that the Yorshim get it. And therefore, perhaps in a case of a collateral, the Rabbi Tarfon would agree with Rabbi Akiva. And now for the same reasoning, we're going to say that if you only learn the case of right, the, the uh, deposit, so it makes sense. You would only say that maybe only there Rabbi Akiva says that the Yorshim get it first. But maybe in the case of a loan, they would agree with Rabbi Tarfon because again, the loan is not 
something that's extant, and therefore it's tzricha. So that's why maybe for that same reasoning, you need both the, ma- the mashkon and the milve to teach you, right, that Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfon have their machlokas in both of those cases. Okay. So now let's understand Rabbi Tarfon's halacha a little bit better. My lakoshel. What does he mean when he says you give it to the weakest? Who's the weakest? So Rabbi Yosef Rechanina Omer lakoshel she b'raya. The one with the weakest proof. Who's the one with the weakest proof, Rashi? Lemi shestaro me'uchar. In other words, whoever has, it's not inherent in whether the creditor, right, the balchov or the wife has the weakest proof. It's just whoever got the star later is the one that has the weakest proof. Okay. And Rabbi Yochanan Ksuvas Isha. No, the weakest is inherent in the ksuba. Mishum china. Right, because you want the women to be confident that they're going to get their ksuba, and therefore, they're, if they're confident they're going to get their ksuba, they're going to be willing to get married, and it's for that reason that we give it to the wife first. Because we have that as a machlokas right? And that's the proper thing to do, according to Rabbi Yamin, that the property will go to the one with the weakest proof, which is the latest star. And Rabbi right? An exact reflection of this machlokas. Fine. So now the Mishnah said, what if you left over peros everywhere? Says the Gemara, Rabbi Kiva, my ira, my ira What does Rabbi Kiva say to specifically to the Moiser? The sheet of Rabbi Kiva is that everything is muchzak, everything belongs to the Yorshim. So that should apply to not just the surplus, but where are these payros? Wherever the payros are, the Yoshim, the inheritors should get everything. Gemara says, no, it's true. Rabbi Kiva will say the Yoshim get everything. It's only because we were quoting the idea of Moiser, and we also said that the sheet is Rabbi Tarfon, and in the case of Rabbi Tarfon, he doesn't hold that the Yoshim get it first, and therefore we kept it consistent. But really, Rabbi Kiva, you're right. He would say that the Yoshim get everything. So as we turn to pay Dalit of the base at the hopeless time at 5.55 a.m., we say, Rabbi Kiva, wait a second, according to Rabbi Kiva, does that mean that, that the Yoshim categorically always get a Yerusha first and nobody, right, can get anything after the Yoshim get it? So Amar of Nachman... No, Rav said he said I'm a Rava rather. I'm a Rav Nachman. Rava said in the name of Nachman that it's effect, that's only effective. What's the case? In other words, seizing property should never accomplish anything at all because according to Rabbi Kiva, Yorshim get it first, and if Yorshim get it first, so then there is no scenario where anybody could get anything after them. So, so Rava, Rav Nachman, it said in the name of Nachman, we came up with a case where you could get something from the Yorshim. That is when you seize it during the father's lifetime. Okay. So now you're seizing. The, so how do you seize it during the father's lifetime? As Rashi says, that that's what Rav Nachman had learned from his Rebbe. Okay. That you're doing it when the father's alive, which is to say you preempt the Yorshim. That's how you get it. Okay, you're the Rabbi Tarfon. So wait a second. According to Rabbi Tarfon, who says that a right a, a isha or a balchov can seize it after the father's death, the manchi hecha. How does this work? Walk me through the mechanism. Where is this produce laying around? As we'll see, it matters. Has to be that all of this horror was in mishus rabim avabesimta lo, because they would have to agree with Rabbi Kiva that when the father dies. Right, if the stuff is actually the simta, which Rashi has a whole explanation of the simta, it's a place where you could do business. Benachas v'yishuvdas, right? Which is to say, it's a place where it's like 
in, in that it's it's a place where it'd be considered like a rishus. Well, at a certain point, Barry, what this boils down to is when do the heirs, when do these Yorshim actually inherited it? At, at the point of the Misa Sabal? Well, the fact of the matter is, if the uh, Misas, if the dad right passes away and the actual possessions are in a place where you can make a kinyan, and that simultaneously, then the, the Yorshim would inherit it. As opposed to in Rosh Rabin, with every, everything is half care, it is only in that case where if the father dies, they don't inherit it immediately. Because that's the bottom line. In other words, there will be a scenario where inheritors don't immediately inherit upon the death of the husband. They have to make a kinyan. That's the point. So what's lacking in Rosh Rabin is an actual formal kinyan. But, rather, but if you have it in a simta, right, in like an alleyway where you can make do business in quiet, in fact, the, that, in that scenario, it would always be like Rabbi Kiva, the Yorshim get it first. That is what Rav and Shmuel both said. They argued a lot, but they disagreed on this point that Rabbi Tarfon Zalacha would even agree in a simta, which is to say, even in a simta, right, they're going to say that the, that produce can in fact be preempted by a Balchov or, a, or an Isha even ahead of Yorshim. Now, don't die in the Rabbi Tarfon. There's a case. There was a case where they held like Rabbi Tarfon, which is to say that you preempt the Yorshim. They had but Reish Lakish said, no, 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 no. You have to go like Rabbi Akiva, give it back to the Yorshim. So I'm like, Rabbi Yochanan, Asisa Keshel Torah. You treated Rabbi Akiva's halacha, which is in fact a Durabanan. He says, you treated him like it's halacha l'moshim Sinai. You, uh, why? Because typically, once a Bezdin rules, you can't turn that, you can't overturn that. And here, you overturn that halacha and you gave it back to the Yorshim as if you, they ruled against the Durabanan. Says the Gemara, Leimah b'hafa kamiflagi. Demar savartar b'davar mishnah choser. Demar savartar b'davar mishnah ena choser. Maybe the machlokas there is whether you can in fact reverse right a verdict that of the bezdin in matters taught clearly in the mishnah. So Reish Lakish would hold that you can, and Rabbi Yochan would say that you that you can't that that you cannot reverse it, and that's why he says it. Says the Gemara, lo. Everybody says that if, in fact, the Bezdin was taught in something that was already explicit in the Mishnah, you have to overturn that. So we have an interesting idea that Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Tarfon were, were cholik. So Rabbi Kiva, everybody holds that when he's cholik on his contemporaries, that we hold like Rabbi Akiva. However, some hold that even when he's cholik on his Rebbe, which we'll see, it's, it's controversial whether Rabbi Tarfan was his Rebbe, that even in that case, we're going to be cholik on him. So tomorrow we'll resume with the Vibar Seima in the middle of Pei Dalit Amud Beis Bezrat Hashem.